0: If on a Sunday night you told a small child, let's say five years old, uh, that they needed to be ready to go to school the following day, um, and then you just left them to their own devices until it was actually time to go to school, well, you might find them in any state of readiness, ranging from fast asleep to kind of ready, but not quite. But if you told that same child, uh, we're going on a holiday to... Disney World tomorrow, make sure you're ready to leave the house at 8am, and then you left them to their own devices, the chances are you'd find them in a much higher state of readiness because all their thoughts and efforts and activities would be focused on getting ready for this monumental event. Jesus told us to be ready for the most exciting, important, and significant event in all of history his return I wonder right now are we more like children getting ready to go to school or children getting ready to go on the holiday of a lifetime how seriously have we taken Jesus's command to be ready uh, that's what we're looking at today so you'll remember from last week that the disciples were leaving the Jerusalem temple with Jesus for the last time, and they were admiring this magnificent building. And Jesus said something really quite shocking. He said that the whole building would be totally destroyed. Later, the disciples asked him, When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? From their question, we can see that they envisaged three things happening at once the temple would be destroyed Jesus would be crowned king and his kingdom would be established forever but Jesus spoke to them about two events he didn't tell them that he was talking to them about two events but with hindsight we can see that he was the first event was the destruction of the Jerusalem temple which brought an end to the that the Whole sacrificial system and that that system of worship that occurred in AD 70. The second event is the one Jesus told us to be ready for his second coming when time and history as we know it come to an end. Our reading this morning began with these words Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. The distress of those days refers to the siege and destruction of Jerusalem and its temple, and last week we saw just how horrendous that was. And the apocalyptic language of the sun and the moon being darkened and the stars falling from the sky, the whole earth being shaken, probably refers to the social, political, and religious turmoil caused by that cataclysmic event, the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. And that's how this kind of apocalyptic language uh, is meant to be read. Jesus was telling his disciples that there would be a major shake-up in the world as they knew it. And there was. But we can also read this verse in relation to the coming of the Son of Man, the return of Christ. We don't need to imagine stars literally falling from the sky, but we should see this as an event that will change the whole of creation forever. No language is sufficient to express the significance of this future event in strong enough terms. And we're told by Jesus that when he returns, all the people of the earth will mourn. And you might say, well, surely it'll be a wonderful thing when Jesus returns. And for those who know and love Jesus, it will be. But not everyone knows and loves Jesus. People will mourn when they see Jesus coming because they will know that the opportunity to turn to him has been lost. We cannot collectively or individually reject our creator and rebel against him forever with impunity. Eventually God will say enough is enough. The time for judgment has come. We will all be judged, and it won't be a case of those who make the grade and those who do not. It'll be a question of who has put their trust in Jesus, who belongs to Jesus. None of us can make the grade on our own merit. That's why we need Jesus, who died in our place and opened a way through death to everlasting life. Jesus said that all the peoples of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. The elect, of course, are those who belong to Jesus, those who are saved, who will live forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, Heaven and earth will become one so that God can dwell with humanity forever. We see that in uh, Revelation 21, for example. Now, many people would scoff at this. They'd say, how ridiculous. Jesus coming on the clouds with trumpets and angels. What a load of rubbish. But we don't need to get hung up on the how question. How will this happen? What will it look like? Yes, there's a description here, but Jesus is describing the indescribable. Again, what words could do justice to an event that is so far beyond the realms of human experience? We don't need to worry about the how, we just need to to, to know that it will happen, Jesus will return. Again, Jesus draws our attention to the signs. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door reminds me of c.s lewis's book the lion the witch and the wardrobe where the white witch who represents the devil has uh, plunged the land of narnia into a perpetual state of winter and the sign that aslan the lion who represents jesus the sign that he's coming back is the gradual thawing of the snow and ice together with uh, other subtle signs that uh, spring is on its way. It's a development of what Jesus was saying here about the fig tree. When the twigs get tender, very soon, you'll see the leaves, and then you will know that summer is right at the door. In other words, look around you. Look around you at the signs and know that I'm coming soon. So what are these signs? Well, we looked at them last week. The temple in Jerusalem destroyed, check. The gospel preached to all nations, check. False messiahs and prophets, check. Ongoing chaos in human society, wars, rumors of wars, famines, natural disasters, check. Christians persecuted, check. Christians are now the most persecuted minority in the world. Division and infighting within the church. We didn't focus on that one, but it's there in verse 10. Check. It's quite telling that Jesus knew that all this would happen. I mean, in 2,000 years, it's quite plausible that war would have ceased by now. But Jesus knew, and we know, that war won't cease until Jesus returns to abolish human sin once and for all. We have the right conditions for Jesus to return. The signs are all there. But every one of those signs has been visible since the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So they don't help us to narrow it down. We, don't, uh, we can't predict when Jesus will come. Nevertheless, many people have attempted to predict the exact year of Jesus' return Uh, even sometimes the precise date and time but Jesus preempted them he said but about that day or hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father nobody knows when Jesus will return not even Jesus knew that so unless you think that maybe Jesus was wrong about this there's no point in speculating about the timing of it Jesus said that it would be like in the days of Noah when everyone was going about their business in the usual way. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and swept them away. Again, by comparing his return to a flood that destroyed uh, most of humankind, Jesus makes it very clear that this will not be a good day for those who have rejected him. And you remember that in the days of Noah, people were scoffing and jeering at Noah because he believed and trusted what God had promised to do. And Jesus gives us this very evocative image. Two men will be working in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be using a, a handmill, One will be taken, the other will be left. And this is where some Christians get the idea of the rapture from, the rapture this idea that Jesus will somehow secretly return and remove his people from the earth. And then according to this line of thinking, uh, there'll be a period of usually seven years before Jesus comes back one final time and fulfills all the promises and prophecies that we find in the Bible. But that's not a very biblical perspective. You do have to contort scripture to reach that conclusion. But it's a popular misconception. It's led to Um, The series, the TV series, Left Behind. I don't know whether any of you have seen that. When Jesus comes to gather his elect, as it says in verse 31, there will be no mistaking it. Remember verse 27, which says, As lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, you will not be able to miss this event. You will know that it's happening. And you will know what is happening again the language of verse 29 the stars falling from the sky and all the rest of it you can't sleep through that kind of cataclysmic event Uh, the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven angels, trumpets however we understand these verses one thing is clear this will not be a covert operation so Jesus is only going to come once and he says don't worry about when or even how this will happen just know that it will happen he says therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come keep watch keep watch but how should we keep watch well certainly not like an astronomer looking through a telescope studying the movements of the planets Uh, no, Jesus warned us against that this is not something to be worked out or calculated Nor should we keep watch like a security guard sat in front of a a bank of CCTV monitors, box of donuts on the side, bored, disinterested, thinking about other things. No. We're to keep watch like someone waiting for a loved one to return. Imagine a man very much in love, whose wife, and that's who he's in love with, just to be clear, his wife goes away for several months, to visit relatives or to, um, on business or whatever. And it gets to the point where the man is expecting his wife to return any day, but for some reason he doesn't know the exact date. Well, the situation that his wife walks in on when she returns will say a lot about how much the man really loves her. I mean, if the woman returns to find the husband slobbing out in front of the TV with his mates, surrounded by empty beer cans and uh, takeaway cartons, dishes piled up in the sink, laundry basket overflowing, a toilet that's become a biohazard. If that's what she finds when she returns, well, that's not really a very loving husband, is it? On the other hand, if she returns to an immaculate house and a well-presented husband and flowers on the table, you might say, yeah, this is, this is a man who really loves his wife. He's ready. He's prepared for her return. We're to keep watch for Jesus like one who is eagerly waiting for a loved one to return. And again, Jesus says, you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And he compares his return to a thief breaking into someone's house. He says, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. If you knew for a fact that a thief was going to try and break into your house tonight, would you go to bed at the normal time and set your alarm for maybe 4 a.m. in the hope that the thief would come in the latter part of the night? Of course not. You'd sit up all night, waiting, with a torch and a can of pepper spray and a saucepan on your head. Jesus said, be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So how can we be ready? How can we be ready? Well, the first thing is to know where we stand with God. If you haven't yet made the decision to follow Jesus, I urge you, don't delay. Because if Jesus returns tomorrow, you want to be rejoicing, not mourning. Jesus offers us all forgiveness and eternal life. We simply need to repent, that's turning away from all that we know to be wrong, and put our trust in Jesus. This offer is available to everyone. God would want everyone to be saved. Be ready, know where you stand with God. And once we put our faith in Jesus, there's a question of how we live our lives. Verse 35 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And so often we live as if this world, the material world, that which we can see and touch, we live as if that's all there is. But Jesus said it will pass away. Everything that seems so sure and solid and permanent will pass away. But Jesus's words will never pass away, and nor will his kingdom. So when he returns, may he find us obeying his words and building his kingdom. How often do we wake up and think, how can I serve Jesus today? How can I best convey the love of Christ to my family and friends and work colleagues and the people who I encounter during the course of the day? This isn't an extra thing to do. This is not an extra thing to do. It's a way of being. It's an attitude. It's a way of positioning ourselves in the world. We can be worldly focused or we can be kingdom focused. We can focus on that which will pass away or on that which is permanent, that will last forever. We're not just watching and waiting for Jesus' return, we're supposed to be serving him as the time approaches. As it says in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, And all the more as you see the day approaching. That's what it means to be ready. To be ready is to be a servant of Christ. We don't know the day when Jesus will return. But we know that day is closer than ever before. And next week we'll be exploring what it means to live in readiness as a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can't ignore the stark warnings that Jesus gave us, that he gave his disciples and and, and us. We pray that um, we'll take this command to be ready seriously, that we'll go away and we'll think about what that means for us. What does it mean for us to be ready? And we pray that when your son Jesus returns, he will find us faithfully serving him and building your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.